Welcome once again to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. What a great day to be here to worship the Lord this morning. Let's go before Him in prayer. Father God, thank You for today and thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You for this opportunity we have now to gather together to not only sing Your praise, but also to hear from You. God, I pray that as we look to Your Word, as we listen to Your voice speaking to us, that we would be eager to not only hear it, but also apply it. That we would be not only eager to listen to what You say, but to live in light of it. God, give us the grace to do so. And be with us now as we seek to worship You in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of Zechariah. Today we find ourselves in Zechariah chapter 11. And if you remember, I don't want to belabor the point, because most of you have been here as we've worked our way through Zechariah. You remember it's written to the Jews returning from Babylonian exile. They're rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple. They're facing discouragement. And God is speaking to them about His glorious promises and what He's going to do for His people. And there's a picture of the of the generations to come, the decades and the centuries to come, and how that's going to be fulfilled. And then there's a further fulfillment in the church. And then there's a glorious fulfillment in the return of Jesus Christ when He retains, when He retains, when He returns to, to reign and rule on earth in His kingdom. So we have still these promises yet to be ultimately fulfilled when Christ returns. And we can look to these promises and claim these promises, remember these promises, knowing that The God that we serve is the very same God that He has not changed. His promises are true and He will carry us through to completion. And that bright days are ahead as we look to the completion of God's plan. So it's all of this that God writes through the prophet Zechariah. He speaks through this prophet to the people. So with all that in mind, let's look at Zechariah chapter 11, verses 1-17. through If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that a fire may feed on your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable forest has come down. There is a sound of the shepherds' wail, for their glory is ruined. There is a sound of the young lion's roar, for the pride of the Jordan is ruined. Thus says the Lord my God, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slay them, and go unpunished. And each of those who sell them says, Blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. But behold, I will cause the men to fall, each into another's power, and into the power of his king. And they will strike the land, and I will not deliver them from their power. So I pastured the flock, doomed to slaughter, hence the afflicted of the flock. And I took for myself two staffs, the one I called favor and the other I called union. So I pastured the flock. Then I annihilated the three shepherds in one month, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul was also weary of me. Then I said, I will not pasture you. What is to die, let it die. And what is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated. And let those who are left eat one another's flesh. I took my staff favor and I cut it into pieces to break my covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day and thus says the afflicted of the flock who were watching me realized that it was the word of the Lord. I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. 
So they weighed out 30 shekels, 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut into pieces my second staff, Union, to break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The Lord said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his eye will be blind. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. Zechariah 11. Right, so Zechariah 11, as I began to work through this this past week, I began to realize the daunting task that was set before me. John MacArthur, I, I read several commentaries, I listened to many sermons, I watched sermons on YouTube. John MacArthur had this to say at the start of his sermon on Zechariah 11. He said, the only reason anyone would preach through this text is if he was a seminary student and it was assigned to him. And I thought, well, if John MacArthur is saying that, I'm in trouble, right? George Klein, who wrote the New American Commentary, who I rely on quite heavily a lot of times, said, Zechariah 11, this is a quote, Zechariah 11 may be the most difficult and controversial chapter in the entire book of Zechariah. And he goes on to say, in a famous comment, S.R. Driver took this point one step further, claiming that Zechariah 11, 4-17, stands as one of the most enigmatic, that's difficult to understand or interpret, it's one of the most difficult to understand or interpret passages in the whole Old Testament. And John McKay, so I turn to John McKay, who I always look to for further guidance and who I've really come to appreciate in this study through Zechariah. He said, in approaching this section, we are coming to an admittedly obscure portion of Scripture, and yet one we cannot easily pass by because of its citation in the New Testament. Even though that actually, he says, even though that citation actually adds difficulties of its own to the situation. Then he said, later references do, however, have this advantage. They rule out any interpretation which is inconsistent with a messianic application of this passage. In other words, those further citations of this passage by the New Testament point to the fact that this clearly refers to the Messiah. It clearly speaks of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. So the people of Zechariah's day, they would have read this. They should have understood that this was speaking to the coming Messiah. And we can look at this and look and understand that it spoke forward to that time, but it also still speaks to the coming of the Messiah who will return to reign and rule once again. And any interpretation or understanding of this text that leaves out Jesus is not a proper understanding. So my goal is to not get caught up in the weeds, so to speak, but only to say what the text plainly says. Because there's a lot of things that are just not that are hard to understand. I want to understand what the text plainly says, consider how this message was heard by the original readers, and then how it applies to our lives, and to do so all while pointing back to the gospel, the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. Ultimately us, the ones who are 
referred to as the people of his pasture, right? The flock under his care. So this passage points to the good shepherd. So without further ado, let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 speak of the coming destruction. It says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that a fire may feed on your cedars. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen. It says, Don't only should, should the cedars, the cedars are going to fall, but the cypress should wail, because if the cedars fell, so will the cypress, because the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable forest has come down. There's a sound of the shepherd's wail, for their glory is ruined. There's a sound of the young lion's roar, for the pride of the Jordan is ruined. Verses 1-3 through serve as a poetic warning about the coming destruction that is going to come upon the land. God is saying destruction is going to come. It's going to start in the north and it's going to continue down through the Jordan area. There will be mass destruction. And while some of these details are hard to interpret, the overall message is not... In other words, verses 1-3 through are meant to serve as a warning of the dangers that lie ahead and the judgment that will come upon the people. You know, much of the book of Zechariah, and I alluded to it earlier, much of the book of Zechariah has been encouraging thus far. God has said again and again, I'm going to be faithful to my promises. I'm going to build my kingdom. I will not forget what I promised you. Trust me in this. I'm doing something mighty and awesome in your midst. The book has detailed the judgment of the nations. That though the nations, that they, they acted out against God's people, that God was going to judge them, that He was just, and He was going to hold them accountable for their actions. And that was ultimately encouraging to the people. The, the book spoke to the building of the kingdom, especially encouraging to those who had returned from Babylon, and their land had been destroyed, and the temple had been destroyed, and He said, I'm going to build this back up. And this book has spoken to the coming of the Messiah, the one who would rescue His people from all their oppressors. However, verses 1-3 through bring a far less encouraging message. And as we move through our text, we see that this destruction is the result of the people's rejection of the Good Shepherd. You see, the promises are true. The Good Shepherd is coming. He's going to rescue His people. The problem is that the people rejected their shepherd. The reference to Lebanon and Bashan, by the way, in particular, is not a reference to foreign nations. Many of the rest of Zechariah speaks to the destruction of these foreign nations, but here we have a reference to the land of promise. We know this for certainty, for these areas were part of the land that was promised to Abraham, and even specifically referenced last week in Zechariah 10 where it speaks of Lebanon and Gilead, which was Gilead's the greater area in which Bashan could be found. And it speaks of it in a way as that land being promised to God's people. In other words, this warning is not a warning against the enemies or a warning of judgment against the enemies of the Jewish people, but instead a warning against the Jews themselves. So as we move on to verses 4-6, through six, Having seen this warning, we see the command that is given to the prophet Zechariah. 4-6 through six says this, Thus says the Lord my God, pasture, and this is the idea of, I want you to shepherd, I want you to do the work of a shepherd, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. And what, he's, what we see here is what we're about to see is a reenactment or a drama where Zechariah is about to put on a play and God is telling him to act as a shepherd. You know, as I was 
working through this, I began to think, I took drama in high school, and I love drama, but I'm glad I don't have to act this out. I actually sat through a sermon one time where a youth pastor, he actually acted out the message, and um, he was a lot more talented than I am at drama. I don't want to have to act this out, but oftentimes the Old Testament prophets would act out a message, and that is exactly what we have here. Zechariah puts on this play, so to speak. And in verse 5, we see why they're doomed to the slaughter. He says, I want you to act out this play, pastoring, pasturing, shepherding the flock, doomed to the slaughter. And in verse 5, we see why they're doomed to slaughter. He says, those who buy them, slay them and go unpunished. And each of them, each of those who sells them says, blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. In other words, there's this buying and selling of the sheep. The sheep are being bought. The sheep are being sold. And people are merely standing by and they're saying, blessed be the Lord, for I've become rich in this. He says, and in that, they're doomed to destruction. Even their shepherds do not take care of them as they should. Then verse 6 begins with the, the word for. It says for or because. In other words, I want you to do this because. I want you to act this out because I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. But behold, I will cause the men to fall, each into another's power, and into the power of his king, and they will strike the land, and I will not deliver them from their power. In other words, he says, I want you to act out this drama for or because I want to warn them, and I want you to warn them, that judgment is coming. So now let's look at verses 7 through 14, where we see this drama actually played out. Verses uh, 7 through 14. The first thing we see in this drama is the portrayal of the good shepherd. Starting at verse 7, it says this So I pastured the flock, doomed to the slaughter. Hence, or even the afflicted of the flock. I pastured the flock, even the afflicted of the flock, and I took for myself two staffs a shepherd's staff, a stick, a rod. I took these two staffs, the one I called favor which means grace or kindness, and the other I called union, which means bonds or, or unity. It's a symbol of being knit together. So grace and unity. And I pastured the flock. You know, this is not the first time God promised favor and union to His people. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of Ezekiel 37, where we read of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's writing while being in Babylon. He's been taken captive. He's in Babylon. And the Lord comes to him and says, He says, I'm going to have, my favor is going to shine upon you, and I'm going to give unity to the people once again. I'm going to return them to the land, and I'm going to raise up a new leader for them. So while writing in exile, In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel writes this, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it, for Judah and the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel and his companions. You see, the nation had been split apart. They had become two separate nations. He said, take these two sticks and write on them the names of these two nations. Then join them for yourself to one to one to another into one stick that they may become one in your hand. He says, I want you to join them together. When the sons of your people speak to you saying, will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them this, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, 
which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel and his companions, and I will put them with it, the stick of Judah, and I will make them one stick, and they will become one in my hand. The sticks on which you shall write will be in your hand before, the eyes, before their eyes. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king for all of them. And they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them and they will be My people and I will be their God. This is written to the people who are in Babylonian exile. They've been taken some 700 or 900 miles from their home. They're in captivity. They're being held hostage. And God writes to them and says, I am going to gather the people back together. I'm going to restore their land. And I'm going to raise up a mighty king. He goes on and says, My servant David will be king over them. David's long gone, folks. David's been dead for a long time. This is speaking to something greater than just David himself, but instead a descendant of David. A descendant of David who would, who would reign over them. He says, my servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd. And they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I, give to J- that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived. They will live on it. They, their sons, and their sons for, and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. He says, I'm going to raise up this servant. He's going to be a prince. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a descendant of David. And he's going to reign over the people. And he's going to bring unity. My favor will be with the people once again, is what Ezekiel has said. So when Zechariah takes these two staffs and he says, one is called favor and the other is called unity. There would be no mistake by the people that they would have understood the promise of Ezekiel. That Ezekiel said, the Lord told me this is going to happen. That God's favor is going to return to the people. That there's going to be unity within the people again. And we know that this unity exists through the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is that descendant of David who would reign and rule in righteousness. That He would bring us grace and unity. That's why Jesus in John 10 said, I am the Good Shepherd. I'm the one who's going to shepherd My people in this way. I am the one who will bring grace and unity to the people. So the next thing we see in this drama is the people's rejection. We've seen the presentation of this Good Shepherd, but the next thing we see is the people's rejection of Him. Look at verse 8. Then I annihilated the three shepherds in one month, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul was also weary of me. This is a really difficult um, passage. We don't know who these three shepherds are. Remember, Zechariah is putting on a play, so it's possible that he actually had three people representing shepherds, and that he, in this play, he annihilates them, that he destroys them. We don't know who the people, who these shepherds represent. I'm inclined to believe that he's speaking of the prophet, the priest, and the king. That those who are the shepherds of God's people in the Old Testament, those who are responsible for caring for them. And that he says, I'm going to annihilate them because they're not doing the work of the shepherd. But that's just conjecture at best, folks. 
He says, I annihilated these three shepherds in a month, in, in a short period of time. And the point of this passage, really, that we need to focus on is why. He says, for my soul was impatient with them. Why? Because their soul was weary of me. Their soul was weary of me. They didn't want me to come as a shepherd. I was a good shepherd who brought favor, who brought unity, and they were weary of me. He says, verse 9, Then I said, I will not pasture you. What is to die, let it die. And what is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated. And let those who are left eat one another's flesh. In other words, let those who want to die, die. And let, let those who are going to be annihilated be annihilated. I'm not going to shepherd them anymore. And in fact, let them destroy one another. The natural result of rejecting the shepherd, of being weary of this good shepherd, was that destruction was coming. And he said, I took my, verse 10, I took my staff favor. Therefore, in light of this, I took my staff favor and I cut it into pieces to break my covenant, which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. And thus the afflicted of the flock were watching me. They re- who were watching me, they realized that it was the word of the Lord. They realized that God was speaking, that he was bringing a warning to the people. Do not reject the shepherd, the good shepherd. And then in verse 14, it says, Then I cut in pieces my second staff. So he cuts the first staff in pieces. Now he cuts the second staff, union, in pieces to break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. There's no more unity. There's no more favor. There's no more unity. Breaking the covenant. The covenant that is referred to may be the agreement that God made to restrain or to hold back the nations from destroying Israel. God made a a promise. I'll hold them back. If you bless me, if you honor me, I'll hold them back from bringing judgment. We know that the covenant that He's breaking is not the everlasting covenant covenant that we just saw in Ezekiel 37. Because he said that covenant would never be broken. Instead, he's saying, I'm going to break this promise to restrain the nations. And instead, my judgment is going to come upon my people through the nations. See, God is warning them through the prophet Zechariah that the favor and unity that they have, it will be broken. And they will receive judgment for their rejection of Him as their good shepherd. That they're going to receive judgment because they've rejected him as the shepherd. Now look at verse 12. He says, I said to them, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. Here we have this picture. He says, If it's good in your sight, if it, if it seems favorable to you, why don't you pay me? But if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Right? And here we have the rejection of the Good Shepherd once again. The reason for the breaking of the staffs in this becomes more evident. Zechariah asks the people to evaluate what they think is an appropriate wage. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to pay me, and here's what you owe me. You owe me 4,000 shekels. He doesn't say, you owe me 300 shekels. He says, why don't you pay me, and why don't you evaluate what you think that payment should be? But if you don't want to, that's fine. He says, evaluate what you think is an appropriate wage for the one who has shepherded you with the staffs of grace and unity. And look at their response. Verse 12 continues and says, so they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. 30 shekels of silver may sound like a significant amount of money. In Israel today, I think that buys about 
um, two meals at McDonald's. So it's, it's not a lot of money today. It was a fairly significant amount of money in, in uh, Zechariah's day. But the point is not that this was a huge amount of money. The point is instead that this was an insult. It was meant as an insult. Why would they give 30 shekels of silver to Zechariah? He says, I dressed up as a shepherd. I took my two staffs. One was grace, one was unity. And I was showing them what a good shepherd does. And I said, why don't you tell me what you think this is worth? What would you pay a shepherd who would do this? And they said, we'll give you 30 shekels of silver. This is an expression of contempt. Instead, it's a, it's a lack of um, respect. It's an insult. That's why verse 13, he says, Then the Lord said to me, Throw, this is an expression of contempt, cast it away, throw it away, throw it to the potter. That magnificent, with his tongue firmly in his cheek, the Lord says, that magnificent, that princely price that you gave me. I came to you, I shepherded you, I brought you favor, I brought you unity, and what did you give me? 30 shekels of silver. That princely price at which I was valued by them. You see, they undoubtedly gave him 30 shekels of silver with Ezekiel 21.32 in mind. 21, or Exodus, excuse me, Exodus 21.32. Exodus 21.32 says this, If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall have his or her his, shall give his or her master thirty shekels of silver. In other words, a slave was worth thirty shekels of silver. So what they're saying is, we'll give you your wage. We'll give you the wage of a slave. We'll give you what a slave is worth. Verse thirteen goes on to say, so I took the thirty shekels of silver. This is Zechariah, and I threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. I cast them away. The reference to the potter is admittedly obscure. However, when we read the New Testament, we clearly see the fulfillment of this prophecy. If this doesn't sound familiar to you, it should. We see this fulfillment in Matthew 27, verses 3-10. through We read this, Matthew 27, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, that's betrayed Jesus, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. And he returned, how much? The 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He returned the 30 pieces of... He betrayed Jesus, the good shepherd, for 30 pieces of silver. And he returned it saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it is not lawful to put them in the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together, and with the money they bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. They bought this field that was known for its clay and which pottery was made. They bought the potter's field so they could bury strangers. For that reason, the field has been called a field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but Matthew actually quotes this or credits this back to Jeremiah. And there's a little bit of a sticky wicket that we get ourselves into here where we have to understand that he's saying 
the, the section of Scripture that begins with, with Jeremiah is quoted as saying this, that the Old Testament prophets would be grouped into a collection, and he just merely says that collection of Scripture has been fulfilled, that prophecy within that collection has been filled today. He isn't saying Jeremiah wrote these things. He's saying the prophets, starting with Jeremiah, leading up to Zechariah, says these things are meant to have been fulfilled in this, in Judas betraying the Lord Jesus. And ultimately, the potter's field being bought with that 30 pieces of silver. You see, the point is this. It's all about the rejection of the Messiah. That's what this section is about in Zechariah 11. They rejected the Good Shepherd. That the Good Shepherd appeared and the people said, we don't want that. We don't want Him. We refuse. What is He to us? He's worth that of a slave. And the insult is huge to, to give the 30 pieces of silver. That's like me having you come to work for me for a week. And it's one thing if I say, hey, I need some help. Will you come help me out? And I don't pay you. It's another thing if you come and you help me out for a week and then I give you $3. That's the equivalent of what was happening here. It was an insult. And it was a rejection of the Good Shepherd. So having seen the presentation of the Good Shepherd and the people's rejection of Him, we now see Zechariah act out the part of the foolish or worthless shepherd. Look at verses 15-17 through 17 with me. Here we see the foolish shepherd, or the worthless shepherd. The Lord said to me, take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. The Lord says, alright Zechariah, grab that equipment again, get dressed up again, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to take the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Why? For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing. But instead, he will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Doesn't sound like a very nice shepherd. He says, this shepherd, he's not going to care for the perishing. He's not going to seek the scattered. He's not going to heal the broken. He's not going to sustain the one standing. In fact, he's going to devour the flesh of the sheep He's going to tear off their hooves. And the picture is, not only does he want to eat their flesh, he wants to get the little bit of flesh that exists between their hooves. He wants every last bit, every last morsel that he can find. Folks, this is a picture of the Antichrist. This is a picture of the one who is to come, who is not a shepherd at all, but sets himself up as a shepherd to the people. And instead, he seeks to devour, to destroy. This is a picture of the one we are talking about in Sunday school in 2 Thessalonians. You see, there have been many men throughout history who have portrayed themselves as good shepherds and actually partially fulfilling this while actually proving to be worthless. And many commentators would say, oh, all of this points to 70 A.D. when the destruction of Jerusalem came and the temple fell and all these horrible things happened. And yes, there's a partial fulfillment in that. But there's one who's far worse than any ruler who's ever ruled before. Far worse than any shepherd. One who will act as a shepherd, but instead he seeks to destroy. Instead of a shepherd, he's like a lion. Prowling around looking for one to devour. You see, there have been many, many people who have portrayed themselves as shepherds while actually proving to be worthless, but this prophecy ultimately points to the Antichrist who sets himself up in opposition to Christ, the true and good shepherd. 
And notice what God says about him in verse 17. There's been a lot of warning in this passage. And I understand this is a heavy text. And it's a, it's a message of warning to the people. There's coming a good shepherd. Don't reject him is the message of warning. But then he says this in verse 17. Woe to the worthless shepherd. So there's been woes to the people. Don't reject the good shepherd. Don't reject the good shepherd. Don't reject the good shepherd. And then verse 17. But woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. That is, a sword will strike him in the arm and on his right eye. And the result, he says, the result will be his arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. You see, the expression, this expression of judgment indicates that, while the, that the worthless shepherd will be repaid according to his deeds. God will cause his arm, which should have protected the sheep, to wither. And his eye, which should have looked upon the sheep with pity and care and concern, to be made blind. The message that is proclaimed is that God will ultimately be victorious. That He will rescue His sheep and defeat the worthless shepherd. So while this is a message of of repentance, it is a message of warning, it's also a message of victory. That God will defeat this worthless shepherd once and for all. But the warning still stands. Don't reject the Good Shepherd. So in review, we've seen this presentation of the Good Shepherd. And we've seen the people's rejection of Him. And then the presentation of the worthless shepherd. So before I close, I want to contrast, just briefly, I want to contrast the ministry of the worthless shepherd as described by God in Zechariah 11 with the way Christ describes Himself as the Good Shepherd in John 10. So in other words, God describes the worthless shepherd in Zechariah 11.16, and then Christ describes Himself as the Good Shepherd in John 10. And I want you to contrast those two descriptions. Number one, the worthless shepherd will not care for the perishing. That's what Zechariah says. The worthless shepherd will not care for the perishing. Whereas the Good Shepherd provides salvation. The Good Shepherd actually cares for and saves those who are perishing. He rescues them from death. Jesus said, I am the door. This is John chapter chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he will be saved. And will go in and come out and find pasture. He will find life-giving care and support and sustenance. I will save him from death is what Jesus promised in that. So while the worthless shepherd will not care for the perishing, the good shepherd provides salvation. Number two, the worthless shepherd will not seek the scattered, Zechariah says. Whereas the good shepherd, Jesus says, provides shelter. Jesus said the sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and He leads them. And when He has brought out all His own, He brings them to Himself. When He has brought them out, He he goes ahead of them and His sheep follow Him. To safety is the implication. They follow Him because they know His voice. He leads them to safety and shelter like a good shepherd would. So while the worthless shepherd doesn't seek the scattered, the good shepherd calls people to Himself and leads them to to shelter and safety. Thirdly, the worthless shepherd will not heal the broken. Zechariah says, the worthless shepherd will not heal the broken. Whereas the good shepherd provides strength. 
So the worthless shepherd lets the broken stay in their position and the good shepherd says, I'll provide you strength. I will heal you. Jesus said in in verse 10 of John 10, He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to be the shepherd who cares for you, who watches over you and provides for you, who protects you and gives you strength. Fourthly, the worthless shepherd will not sustain the one standing. He says, the worthless shepherd, he's not the one who's standing, he's not going to sustain him. Whereas the good shepherd, Jesus says, provides security. Verses 12 and 13 of John 10, Jesus says, He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. And as the good shepherd, as the good shepherd Jesus, he cares for his sheep. He is concerned about them. He doesn't leave them. But instead, he tells us he is with us even to the end of the age. That he provides that security. Unlike the worthless shepherd who does not sustain us. Jesus sustains us until the end. Fifthly, the worthless shepherd will devour the flesh of the fat sheep, tear off their hooves. In other words, he's going to victimize and take advantage of the sheep. Whereas the good shepherd, Jesus says in John 10, 11, he says the good shepherd provides his life. He comes to provide sacrifice. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life. He doesn't take the lives of the sheep. Instead, he gives up his life for them. So here's the big question. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, how do we take this message, both individually and corporately, specifically, how do we apply all of it to our lives? How do we take this message of the good shepherd, the people's rejection, and this false shepherd this worthless shepherd, and the contrast between the good shepherd and the worthless shepherd, how do we take this message and then apply it to our lives specifically? Well, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, do not reject the good shepherd. Do not reject His ministry of favor, His ministry of unity, that He has bound you together with Him through the power of the Gospel, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, that though we were far off, Though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Don't reject the Good Shepherd, the One who comes to save your soul. Instead, trust in the Gospel. Trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us plainly and clearly that all of us have sinned. Scripture tells us plainly and clearly that the wages of sin is death. But Christ died to take our place so that we might be forgiven. He was raised from the dead showing that He defeated death, and He is returning again to establish His kingdom and His reign here on earth. So receive the Good Shepherd today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and I probably many of us here are, and that's why we're here, we're followers of Jesus, then how do we apply this? We need to praise God for His provision. And we need to herald the good news to those around us. We need to praise God that we have a good shepherd. That though there is one who does seek to devour us, who seeks to destroy us, that there is one who is out in the world today seeking to bring down people, 
to send them to hell because of their sin, to keep them from coming to the Good Shepherd, that Christ has opened our eyes and that He ministers to us with His rod of unity and His rod of grace. That we're unified in Him and unified with one another because of His ministry. We need to praise God that we have a shepherd who has come to bring salvation. That though we were sinners, Christ died for us. That we look forward to eternity with Christ. Not the just payment, the just penalty for our sin, but instead, grace. We have a shepherd who has come to bring shelter. That He wraps His loving arms around us and He carries us through. That He protects us. That He calls us to Himself and says, I am with you. I will protect you. And anything you go through in this life will will pale in comparison to eternity. That anything that you go through in this life will be light and momentary affliction because of the glories that follow in heaven. We need to praise God that we have a shepherd who has come to bring strength. That He will lift you up and enable you to stand under any trials that come. That He is a shepherd who cares for you and strengthens you and enables you to get through this life and live in light of the glories of the next. And we need to praise God that we have a shepherd who has come to bring security that nothing and no one can snatch you out of His hand. That He will protect you until He returns. He is with you and there is no one who can take that away from you. And then we need to praise God that we have a shepherd who has come to bring sacrifice. That He paid the price that we couldn't pay. That He laid down His life for you. That though the payment for sin is death, He paid that payment. He paid that that penalty for you. He laid down His life for the sake of His sheep. So let's live in light of that truth.